Second reading comes from Matthew chapter 12. Jesus, aware of the Pharisees' plan to kill him, withdrew from there. And many followed Jesus, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So, the sermon series for these Lenten midweeks are based on uh, that white sheet that I handed out, or um, the blue sheet that is at the either end of the pews that have been there for uh, quite a bit. It is, these are literally the 20 questions that Martin Luther prepared for Christians to examine themselves before taking communion um, with some instructions for the first time one takes communion right before. Tonight's message is about the first six questions. Those being, you can look, at them with me, look on them with me, are, do you believe that you are a sinner? Yes, I believe I'm a sinner. How do you know this? From the Ten Commandments, which I have not kept. Are you sorry for your sins? Yes, I'm sorry that I have sinned against God. What have you deserved from God because of your sins? His wrath and displeasure, temporal death and eternal damnation. Do you hope to be saved? Yes, that is my hope. In whom, then, do you trust? In my dear Lord, Jesus Christ. Worthiness to commune on the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, in part, is dependent on how you answer this last question. Question six. In whom, then, do you trust? Faith, we know, is simple trust, simple hope in our one true God, Jesus Christ. Long before Jesus Christ dwelt among us, though, his distant ancestor, King David, walked in the paths of a faithful Christian life, showing us the way of the Lord. You know King David. He's the young boy who slayed Goliath. David is the mighty warrior who also wrote poetry and played instruments and danced in front of the Ark of the Covenant out of joy. When David was not yet king, but simply serving King Saul in his palace, 
David was known to play the lyre during King Saul's great distresses, and it would soothe King Saul's heart and mind. King Saul would begin to prefer David, and he even appointed him as commander of all his armies. But here's the funny thing. David started to be more successful and more popular and more loved than his king, King Saul. King Saul, the Lord's anointed, his chosen one to be king. The scriptures say that the people would sing in the streets and as they plowed their fields and as they worked and as they did the dishes and nursed their babies, they would sing, Saul has slain thousands, but David has slain tens of thousands. David is more mighty, strong, and a better leader than King Saul. And so, of course, like any of us would, Saul grew jealous. And he began to actually hunt David down. He would get in his chariot and he would hunt David down for months to kill poor David. And what's cool but also scary, if you were there, is that many of the Psalms A lot of the poetry in the Old Testament was written down by David during this time exactly. David would be wandering the desert, hiding from Saul in caves all across Israel, composing, writing down, and singing these prayers, these these psalms to God. And this is when David learned to, as, the psalm, as he writes in the Psalms, not put his trust in kings to deliver him. Instead, to put his trust in the Lord, his rock, his fortress, his, his mighty fortress to deliver him. He would pray that God be his shield, his salvation, his deliverer, his refuge. And in this way, he would be spiritually communing with his Savior, his God, when he was far from the tabernacle in hiding. Though, while he was on the run, David Uh, did, in fact, eat the bread of the presence in the tabernacle. And Jesus mentions this in the gospel when they're attacking him for his disciples plucking grain on the Sabbath. He says, well, don't you remember when King David ate the bread of the presence on the Sabbath when he was running from King Saul? And so David ate the very bread of the presence in the tabernacle on the Sabbath as he fled from King Saul. This would have been a proto-version of what we might do in communion. 
And so even David, all the way back, he drew strength during his anxieties from God's word, as well as the bread of the presence. It would sustain David both in body and in soul to keep on fighting another day. Jesus is the son of David. It's one of his messianic titles. Jesus, what this means to be the son of David, is that Jesus is the rightful male heir of the line of King David in Israel. King Herod was not. The Jewish leaders at the time, specifically in our text today, the Pharisees, schemed to kill Jesus because they felt that his authority, his teaching authority, undermined their own political authority. And so, like King David, Jesus was God's chosen one, his anointed one. Yet Jesus was the very Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Like King David, Jesus needed to flee from and hide from the very people God had chosen to pastor his people, Israel. David had to hide from King Saul, Jesus from Israel's pastors and religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers. And like King David, Jesus drew strength and comfort from God's word, from the very psalms and poems of his distant ancestor, David. Jesus, hiding from the Pharisees, would have prayed this psalm. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Imagine him healing those people, speaking kind words to them as he prays these psalms. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, my stronghold, my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. I call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Yet, the Father in heaven had a special plan for his Son, Jesus. And that plan looked like Jesus being the Savior, the Deliverer that David spoke of in his Psalms for all the people, and not only the Hebrews, but the non-Hebrews too, people like us, Gentiles, Jesus himself would be King David's rock and fortress as he is ours. Jesus himself would be your refuge, your deliverer, your rock. He will save you from your enemies when you call on his name. He will deliver you from the evil one, from death, from the fear of death, from the temptations of your own sinful desires. He will save you deliver you if you call upon his name. God made that promise about Jesus for you in Isaiah. As quoted today in our gospel reading, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved 
with whom my soul is well pleased. You remember these words from Jesus' baptism, from Jesus' transfiguration. Isaiah continues, I will put my spirit upon him. He will be the chosen one, the anointed one. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel. He will not cry aloud. And think when he's on the cross and he never complains, though he suffers. He does not cry aloud. He does not quarrel. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Most people just won't get his preaching. They won't get his parables. But listen to this wonderful promise. Something that got me through seminary, got me through the COVID lockdowns, has been a great comfort Isaiah's words, yet the bruised reed he will not break, and the smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, which we can read as, until Jesus dies and rises again for you. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope, will have faith, will trust And so I ask question number six, in whom then do you trust? And I know your answer is, in my dear Lord, Jesus Christ. You, I, are bruised and beaten down. You and I are smoldering candle wicks. You and I feel hurt. You and I are relationships. They're difficult and we're working on them. You and I have hurt others and have been hurt by others. You and I keep letting ourselves down and letting others down. Yet Jesus promises through all this, he will not break you. Jesus promises he will not snuff you out. He won't let it happen. He knows you hope. He knows you trust in his name and are eager to call on his name to deliver you. And this, Martin Luther writes, makes us worthy to commune. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can't wait to trade with you. Give me your burdens. This is an invitation for all of us broken down by our sin, our hurt, our pain, our sickness, to come to the rail for the forgiveness that is found only in Jesus' body and blood, in his words preached, 
read and heard and given in absolution. David, Jesus' distant ancestor and rightful king of Israel and Judah, writes in Psalm 51, The proper sacrifice to God is a broken and contrite heart. If you give him that, he will create in you a clean heart. He will give you peace. He will give you mercy and hope in this dark world. Simply put your trust in him. In Jesus' name.